listening to The Music Room with Aileen Miracle. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 90 of The Music Room. This episode is all about standards-based grading in The Music Room. Before I begin, I want to mention that I have a blog post all about this and the blog post is actually I think a few years old. So in today's podcast episode, I'll be diving deeper into what I go over in the blog post, but also adding a few new things. But if you want to check out the blog post, I will link to it in the show notes. And to find the show notes, you can go to mrsmiraclesmusicroom.com slash podcast and then choose episode 90. All right, we are going to dive into standards-based grading in the music room. I'm going to apologize before we begin because I have a new puppy and he's walking around on the floor and you can probably hear him stepping around. So if that's, if you hear that, that's my puppy. Sorry. (laughs) If I try to put him into the crate, he's just going to bark. So this is what we're going to do. All right. So first I wanted to discuss what standards-based grading is. So you may or may not be using standards-based grading in your music room or in your district, but the idea of standards-based grading is that instead of grading each individual assignment or assessment and then kind of like averaging the grades for your quarter grade, you're grading towards a standard. In my district, our grading is something like four, the student is meeting the standard, three, the student is progressing appropriately towards the standard, two, there's less than expected progress towards the standards and one little to no progress. So it's a little bit different than the way we used to grade was like E, M, P, N. So E was exceeding expectations, M was meeting expectations, P was progressing toward expectations, and N was needs improvement. So it's a little bit different because we don't have like an exceptional kind of mark. It's just are you meeting the standard or not? So some pros and cons in my opinion, for standards-based grading. One of the pros, I think, is that you're constantly comparing it to a standard. Instead of just maybe using like random assessments, you always have the standard in mind. And when I say the standard, I mean like what you want the student to do by the end of the year, which we'll talk about in a minute. I also feel like it keeps you constantly thinking about the standard and planning activities in your lessons that help students meet the standard. As far as a con goes, I would say it's, in my opinion, I feel like it's not quite as much communication for the parents because, you know, a lot of your students might be getting threes for the whole year. And then maybe at the end of the year, if they're not quite meeting the standard, then they would get a three at the end of the year instead of maybe, you know, all the way throughout the year, knowing that their child is struggling with something, they might get a two and then they would know they're struggling. But the way that standards-based grading works, at least in my district, They could be getting a three, but then at the end of the year, they just don't actually make it to a four. But what I do to kind of combat that is I just really try to be specific in my comments so that the parents know, you know, what exactly what we're doing in the music room and, you know, what standard I'm comparing it to. How to start with standards-based grading. In my district, instead of having like one grade that's just their music grade, I really appreciate that we have what we call strands or like categories. The strands we're currently using are performing, reading slash writing, responding, classifying, and creating. But I think pretty soon we're going to end up aligning with the National Core Art Standards, which is creating, and then there's another strand that's performing slash producing slash presenting, responding and connecting because i think that's the new ohio music standards 
which are close to finally being finalized. I was actually on the committee years ago for it before COVID. It'll be aligning with the National Core Art Standards. So if you use the National Core Art Standards in your school district, then maybe you go ahead and align to that. But you have kind of like categories. So what I mean by that is instead of just getting like one grade for music, maybe uh, let's say first grade, maybe they have of the five categories, maybe two of the categories are assessed in one quarter and another quarter, three of the categories are assessed and another quarter, four, so you know what I mean? Like it, it just kind of depends on what you're doing each quarter. But by the end of the year, all the students have had a chance to meet the standard with the activities and assessments that you've done in the music room. I feel like that is a, is much more communication for the parents than just like one grade for music, right? So that's been helpful. And then also what I have found really helpful in my district is to create what's called performance learning descriptors. We call them PLDs. And those are goal statements for each standard. So what do you want the student to be able to do by the end of the year? So instead of just looking at one assessment where you're having students like dictate with ta, titi, and rest, or ta and titi, let's say, by the end of the year, maybe you want students to be able to dictate with ta, titi, and rest, and identify melodic patterns, right? So it's kind of like the standard for reading and writing all together, and you kind of work together with, you know, you could collaborate with another music teacher or with the teachers in your district, however you want to do it, but you create these goal statements for each standard for or for each strand, I guess you could do, kind of depending on how you're doing it. So with creating, what do I want first graders to do by the end of the year? With responding, what do I want students to be able to do by the end of the year? And for each quarter, you are comparing what the students have done versus the standard. So if in a certain quarter you have given students the ability to reach that PLD or that performance level descriptor and they've done everything that you wanted them to by the end of the year or they've had a chance to, then some students could get a four because they have met that standard while other students would be getting a three. And like I said, this can be a really great collaboration project and it doesn't have to be super complicated, these performance level descriptors. It could just be like a statement or like a bulleted list of what you want your students to be able to do by the end of the year. And then each quarter, you could figure out what your assessments are going to be. So you can kind of, you know, look at your long range plans and see which assessments you would like to do with each grade level. And then for each quarter, you can also figure out, is it possible for the student to meet the standard during that quarter? Have I, you know, let's say, like going back to the first grade example, let's say the performance level descriptor is that the students can like read, write, and compose with ta, tt, and rest and read, write, and compose with so and me, or so me and la, right? Have you given them the chance to do all of that, either in that quarter or, you know, sometime during the year? And then some students could get a four, and some students might get a three if you're, let's say, in your, you're in the second or third quarter, but then by the end of the year, maybe give them another chance, which I'll, I'll talk about in a minute. And then I would keep track of where students are, because once a student does get a four, in my district, they can't go backwards. They can't go back to a three, after they have met the standard, after they've been at a four. So you just, you know, kind of keep track of that. And then at the end of the year, if students haven't already gotten the chance to get to a four, make sure that they do. So you could kind of like, let's say, you know, with first grade, I actually did this. With first grade, I did a bunch of study beat versus rhythm practice at the beginning of the year. 
And I had some students that were struggling with that. And maybe they got a two, you know, because they were struggling with beat versus rhythm. Or maybe they're at a three, but you're not sure if they can get to a four because of their struggle with beat versus rhythm. So then at the end of the year, maybe you just do one more check-in to see where they're at with beat versus rhythm to see if any of those students could be bumped to a four. So you kind of just circle back. So you could, you know, look at all of your assessments and kind of figure out which ones have students not met the standard on and give them another chance and it doesn't have to be you know this big complicated assessment it could just be a little game that you play it could be observational however you want to do it all right so i hope that's been helpful for you as you consider how to do standards-based grading like i said i also have a blog post which you can dig into if you'd like all right i'm going to talk about what i'm consuming So I actually just finished my first fiction book in quite a while. I've read several nonfiction books, but this is the first fiction book that I've read in a while. And when I say a while, I mean like it may have been a few years. <laughs> Maybe I've listened to an audiobook over the last year, but I've just been like I have always loved to read, but I just at some point in my life I just got so busy that I quit reading, especially fiction. And so I decided that this is like a form of self-care that I really love to read. And so I'm gonna just sit down and I'm gonna make myself read. My 18-year-old Jenna came home from college over winter break and she had this fabulous idea when she was reading to get YouTube up on the TV and just search for like a fireplace video. They also, if you're a Harry Potter fan, they have like a Gryffindor house video where it's just like a crackling fire and you might hear wind outside. It's kind of just like environmental sounds. And I have found that really relaxing to read along with. So instead of just having TV on as background noise, you know, it just, you can put something on it. It could be like the ocean or something like that. So I encourage you to do that if that sounds like something that you would enjoy. Anyway, I read this book by Emily Giffen years ago. I read a couple books by Emily Giffen that I really liked. So I saw this one at Target and I, th- I was like, oh, I really like this author. I should, you know, check out some of her books again. So this one was called The Lies That Bind. And it was kind of like, it's super easy read, kind of like a romance without getting, you know, it's not super romance, but a little bit of a romance, but also a little bit of a mystery. And uh, it has a 9-11 storyline. Yeah, I don't want to give you too much just in case you want to dig into it. But it was, like I said, I I think I finished it in three days and I wasn't even like reading for hours every day. It was just like an hour or two here or there. And so it was easy to read and it was really entertaining. So Emily Giffen's The Lies That Bind. I, again, I hope this was helpful. If you do standards-based grading in your school district, if you have any questions, feel free to shoot me an email at Mrs. Miracles Music Room at gmail.com. And I hope you have a great day.